Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. And in discovery, you are going to fail far more often than you will be successful. And I asked myself as I looked in that mirror, I said, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? And the answer was no excuses, just results. My guest today is Michael Unbroken. Michael helps trauma survivors get unstuck, learn to love themselves, and become the hero of their story. Michael was born to a hyper-abusive drug addict mother who cut his finger off at four years old, a stepfather you pray you never have, and a racist grandmother that pushed him into an identity crisis. Michael, thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you today? Man, it's a great day. It is an honor to be here with you, my friend. Well, it's an honor to have you. We need to talk about us, right? As an individual, as a person, as someone who has overcome adversity. And so many people in the world don't know how to overcome it. They still carry it with them day in, day out. It makes them function a certain way where it's, they're hurting themselves daily. So that's where you come in, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, there, there are, you have to want this. Oh yeah. You know, and, and I think people will believe stepping into really anything, healing, any type of coaching, any, anything is like somehow magically their life will be different, (laughs) but it just, it doesn't work that way. And if you, if you want something in your life, like you have to earn it, you have, but, but most importantly, you have to want it. And I think it it breaks my heart, but so many people would much rather play the victim. Mm. And look, I played the victim for a very long time. I get it. Trust me. I'll be the first one to raise my hand. But, you know, ultimately change only happens when you make change happen. Right. So you, you, you know, I myself was the victim. We all were victims, especially when it came to child abuse, right? You help people understand that they're not the ones to blame for the child abuse, right? Like I'm, I, I'm not the one to blame for me being abused as a child. It is my abusers who 
who had the problem. It wasn't me who had the problem. It was they're the ones that had the problem. So, you know, you had a, a rough upbringing, and I, I read your bio, and, you know, it kind of touched me because it was like, wow, kind of grew up like, like brothers. <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy when we can relate to something of pain like that. Um, I, I'd love to, if you're okay with it, to, to go back to your childhood and those, those moments that you knew it was not you. It was not your fault. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm totally comfortable with I'm literally what I do for a living, you know, so gotcha. um, I, I can go anywhere. If there's anything you can ask me, it doesn't matter. Um, okay. Likewise. You know, and, 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 and look, you're right. You know, I, I think so often about this, that the thing that if you, if you want to step into like really starting to take your life back, you, you have to realize like you are not culpable for the bad things that happened to you. Mm. But one of the really important things you must also reconcile is that at some point you have to realize that the choices and decisions you're making today are what are impacting your life and that you, and this is going to be hard for people to hear, you are not a child anymore. And, and that's super difficult. So my, my background, man, you know, it's, it's nuts. It sounds like a movie, right? And I know, you know, my background a little bit, but it's not, it's real life when, so I grew up in Indianapolis in Indiana, in America, in the eighties. And my mother was a drug addict and alcoholic. Um, And in fact, she actually cut off my right index finger when I was only four years old. Mm. And, And people always be like, well, how could your mother do that? And you know, it's the old adage, hurt people, hurt people. And she married my stepfather when I was six, who was super abusive, would kick the shit out of my brothers and I, Mm. put us in the hospital multiple times. Like just the most fearful moment of my day was walking through my front door. Wow. And and I used to lie in bed at night and I would cry and I would just pray. I'd be like, God, send my real dad to come and save me. And, you know, I used to be like, oh, he's in the military. He's probably saving people. And Mm -hmm. You know, I, I found out at a very young age, nobody's coming. Mm. We, we spent the majority of my childhood deeply impoverished and homeless. And in fact, I lived with 30, three, zero different families between eight to 12 years old. Oh, wow. Getting bounced around place to place to place. Friends, strangers, family, people from the church, vans. Like, dude, it was just massive chaos. Because like, wow. One day we'd be with one family and then they'd be like, here, we're, we can't take you. We got to send you over here. These guys are going to watch you for a day. And then these guys and, you know, my mom was always in and out of rehabs, out of the hospital, attempted suicide multiple times. My stepdad was an over the road trucker. Like it was just crazy, man. And when I was 12, my, my grandmother adopted me, which you would think would be a heaven sent. And in some sense it was, right. um, but I'm biracial, black and white. And my grandma's a super racist ass old white lady from a town in Tennessee you never heard of. So like insert identity crisis, man. Mm. Like it was insane. And so around this time, I'm 12 years old. I got high for the first time. Mm. It was first, it was weed. And then it was like popping Sufedrin and over the counter drugs. And then it was getting drunk. Um, And then it was skipping school and stealing cars and breaking into houses and hurting people. Right. It was just Mm. the spiral. Right. Right. And and when I was 15, I got kicked out of school for selling drugs because that's what children do when they're from chaotic backgrounds. And luckily I got put into this last chance program. And around this time as well, um, I put a restraining order on my mother. 
Mm. Right. So imagine that, like that kind of conflict in my own life as a kid making that decision. Well, in doing that, I actually ended up getting straight A's for the next year of school. Right. The impact of that kind of chaos. Well, my mother ends up getting out of this rehab, moves back in with my grandmother. And again, I'm living with my grandmother. And the thing that you have to understand that I didn't understand then was that the thing that triggered my mom into drug and alcohol was her mom. Mm. And so the second she moved back in, dude, it was like we were right back where we were. And it was hidden alcohol bottles, hidden pill bottles, drinking and driving, crashing cars, like just mad, mad chaos. And so, you know, I told my mother when I was 18 years old, I said, I will never talk to you again after she tried to attack me with a pair of scissors one night. Mm. And until the day she died, I did not. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the most hard decisions I've ever had to make, but it was super important. So anyway, I'm, I'm 18 and I find out I'm not graduating high school. Mm. It's super embarrassing, man. I was such a loser. Of course. And my, my girlfriend calls me, I'm home, I'm stoned, I'm playing video games. And, and I go to school and, and my, my teacher, Mr. Bush is like, yeah, you're not passing, dude. You're not, we're, we're not going to let you. Th- he, he actually is the only teacher who ever stood up for me. Huh. Right. It was an incredible moment. I needed that. I needed someone to do that for me. And, uh, and he taught me the most important lesson anyone's ever taught me. So what you need to understand about life is you can't get by on your charms and your good looks. If you want something, you have to earn it. And I had to go to summer school and dude, I was an embarrassed, I was a- embarrassed. Of course you were. <laughs> I was, I was a huge loser. It was impossible not to graduate from that high school. Impossible. But somehow I figured it out. And all of my friends stopped talking to me. I got ostracized from all the community, uninvited from every graduation party. Mm. Right? That's, that, that's a coming of age thing that I didn't get Oh yeah, because of my experiences and my choices. And so what happened was I go to summer school, a couple weeks into it, the teacher pulls me aside. He goes, look, dude, I'm just going to give you the diploma. We want you the hell out of here. Wow. And I'm like, what? I just, all of this for this. And it was crazy. And so I find myself, you know, I I get the diploma, whatever. doesn't even matter at that. I'm so removed from it at this point. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm working a job at a warehouse. I'm putting microchips in motherboards, working on an assembly line, 12 hour, 13 hour days. Mm. And you can just see the desperation in people's eyes. Like, like this is an environment where people go where their dreams die, man. Yeah. Like, like it's crazy watching this. And, um, and I got fired uh, probably because I was stoned. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I'm sitting in my car and I'm like, hold on, man. This is crazy. What are you doing? I was like, I know what I need. I know I figured it out. Right. And this is my 18 year old brain. Mm-hmm. I go, I need to make $100,000 a year legally by the time I'm 21. I needed a goal. Right. And so the legal part was super important. I've been in handcuffs multiple times. I got family in prison for life. Mm. And as of today, my three childhood best friends have been murdered over drugs. Wow. I knew where I was going, man. Yeah. I knew it. Mm-hmm. I foretold the future. And so I just started learning. I got skills because skills have utility. I landed a job with a fast food joint at 18 years old. I had 52 people under me mm. doing leadership, PL, loss, shrink, the whole nine. 
And, and I eventually found myself in a position of working for a fortune 10 company, Mm. no high school diploma, no college education. And I started making six figures and it destroyed my life. And by the time I was 25 heading into 26, I was 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep, cheating on my girlfriend. And that's when I put a gun in my mouth. No way. I was done, man. You were, you were beyond. I was done. I, well, you know what it was, man? I was just like, I thought money was going to solve this. And it didn't. It does not. And so I'm, I'm, laying in the, I'm laying in bed the next day. Just like, man, you know, in this like days, I can't even really explain it. I'm eating chocolate cake, smoking a joint. And watching the CrossFit games. Like, <laughs> what a combination, right? Dude, literally my rock bottom. Mm. That was it. The only way my life could have been lower is if I killed somebody. Right. Like I was just at the bottom. Mm. And, and something happened. Something really triggered in my brain. And I went in the bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror. And I'll never understand why, why this happened. But I remembered being eight years old. And the water company had come and turned our water off. It's the middle of summer, Indiana, blistering hot August day. Like Indiana summers are crazy hot and humid. And I go in the backyard. I get this little blue bucket. I walk across the street to our neighbor's house. And for the first time, I stole water. And I remember being like, when I'm a grown-up, this won't be my life. The only thing I ever wanted to do as a kid was be a Mm grown-up. And in many ways, it wasn't my life financially. Right. Right. But in every other way, I was still that hurt, lost little boy. Right. And my life was a freaking disaster. And I asked myself, as I looked in that mirror, I said, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? And the answer was no excuses, just results. And what that meant is I was no longer going to negotiate with myself. Mm-hmm. I was no longer going to be the victim. You see, it was always everybody's fault that my life was terrible. Your fault, my parents' fault, the community's fault, the teacher's fault, Obama's fault. Right. Like, dude, it was, it, it was everybody but Michael. It was never Michael's fault. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And in that moment, I realized the truth about life. I was no longer a child. And if I wanted what was next, I would have to go and earn it. And then that set me down this precedent that 11 years later, has led me to speaking with you. Mm. And in that process, I mean, dude, it's everything. All the therapies, all the coaching, all the personal development, all the education. I have over 30 trauma-informed certifications. Like it was just like, dude, I'm going to do whatever it takes. No excuses, just results literally means that. Mm -hmm. It literally means that. And so here I am. So that bathroom moment, that was your defining moment. I. Here's, here's why people, people will come to that very often, right? And it's easy uh-huh. to come to that. Right. I, I had hit rock bottom a thousand times mm-hmm. before that moment. Right. That just happened to be the one. Right. You know, I, I quit smoking every day. I quit drinking every day. I quit cheating on my girlfriend every day. Mm. You know, and it was like, fuck, man, what are you doing? And, and that bathroom moment, like that mirror was so pivotal. There's something that has congruency around so many of the people that I know in the world who have created massive change in their life. And the thing that we all have in common is we were willing to look in that mirror and face our truth. 
And, and I think that that becomes this really fascinating, defining and pivotal moment for people because that is the moment of truth. Yeah. You can't hide anymore. We, we all go look in the mirror, but we ain't looking at ourselves. And it's not the first time you looked in that mirror. It was just that particular moment in time that defined it for you. A lot of times what I tell people is like, is your mirror dirty? What are you really seeing? Because mm. you need to clean it because you're not seeing what everybody else is seeing. Everybody else is seeing like, you know, whether you, you, you're lying to yourself or not. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's 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 the vision that you have of yourself that's going to allow you to interpret what you want to do with your life. So, yeah, I, I think that that was your your actual moment where you actually, yeah, you've looked in the mirror before, but it was that particular day, right, that changed it for you. Yeah. So you decided to do something for yourself first, mm. right? That was you. It was all you. Nobody else. You. Yeah. You stop blaming Obama. You stop blaming other people. And you took responsibility probably for your first time. Yeah. Am I right on that? Yeah. Well, let let me, let me, let me add more context to it. Sure. It was responsibility and clarity of having a goal that mattered. Mm. Right. Because I had, I'd taken responsibility for stuff that didn't matter. Right. Many times. Mm. Right. You, like people will go to like that finance thing will be like a hundred grand a year and they'll be like, oh, that's the thing. Right. So you got massive clarity. That's my goal. That's what I'm going to move towards. Not thinking about the importance of literally everything else. Mm-hmm. Right. And now when I look at my life, money is at the money is incredibly important. Let's be very clear oh, yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. But it's at the bottom of my list of concerns. Right. And so in that moment, what it was. It was me really looking at life and going, you know what, man, maybe if you did some of this shit that keeps you awake at night, your life will be different. Right. And, and I, I came to realize something really incredibly true about the human experience. And, and look, I'm not a doctor, so let's be very clear about this. Mm-hmm. I'm just a guy who's lived a lot of life and read a lot of books and had a lot of coaching, right? Right. I believe that there is a truth in what I'm about to say. Anxiety and depression come from not doing the thing that you know you need to do to make your life better. Mm, exactly. And, and what I needed to do, because, dude, at that point, I was having five panic attacks a day. No way. Wow. That's a lot. Five. It was crippling. Crippling. I'd be on the floor. It'd be in a bathroom at a restaurant. It'd be in my car. I'd have to pull over on the fucking highway because it was all the chaos just consuming me constantly about all the things I wasn't dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so I got massive clarity. I got massive clarity. And it was go to therapy and take it seriously. I used to pay this guy hundreds of dollars and go and tell him whatever I thought he wanted to hear. And that's not therapy. <laughs> it's not. It's, 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 it's insane. Yeah. I would eat poison every day. I would eat McDonald's like 10 times a mm. week, man. Oof. They're going to sue me one day. They're poison. Don't eat McDonald's. Right. I agree. A thousand percent. Yep. It was, it was going and, and, and throwing a whole pack of cigarettes in the trash can mm. and then pulling them out. Right. Right. It was drinking just obsessively 
right? Not because I was an alcoholic, but because that was the only way I could feel numb, mm. right? It wasn't, like, it wasn't the alcohol. It was just, I would do anything, sex, whatever, right? And so it was clarity about what do I want? I know all the things. We do. We know what we should be doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't you dare tell <laughs> me you day. don't know. Don't you Absolutely. dare tell me that lie. Right. The difference between success and failure in life is the doing, is the action. And I just started taking massive action. And, and look, I want to be very clear about this. I don't want this to be misconstrued in any way. The next three years of my life were the hardest three years of my life. Mm. Because it was one step forward, a million steps backwards. It was such a struggle because I'd never done any of the things that I was doing before, right? Mm. And, and I, I thought about this recently as I was starting to write my third book. I was thinking about this word suffering. And I, I believe this to be very true, that you must be willing to suffer mm-hmm. to have the life you want to have. And, the, and, and I want to be clear about something and define what suffer means. Yes, please do. Suffer means to experience or undergo or feel something unpleasant. Do you know how unpleasant it is to walk into the freaking gym when you're 350? Mm. Do you know how unpleasant it is to pick up a book for the first time when you haven't read anything in 20 years? Mm. Do you know how unpleasant it is to not eat McDonald's, but to instead go home and cook dinner for yourself? And so you must be willing to suffer. And the thing that I got massive clarity about in my life at that time was that I was going to suffer. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was. I didn't, I'll be clear. Like I didn't have the words for it. Like I do now. Cause I was in it. Right. I wish somebody would have been like, Hey dude, you're going to suffer through this, but on the other side, it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was for three years, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then I just, I iterated and I, I took samples of myself and I grew and eventually it just became easier. And now it's easier than it was yesterday and tomorrow will be easier than today, but it will always be a struggle and there will always be suffering. Right. You know, a lot of people may see you and they go, oh, overnight success. I mean, well, they're so wrong because anyone who claims to be an overnight success or people peg them that way, that's not the truth. There's always a struggle. There's always some suffering that has to happen and growth. What, is, what does a diamond have to go through before it becomes a diamond, right? What, what is, you know, gold before it's shaped it has to go through fire. So all these different things, everything in our life, a plant, a flower, a rose, that seed went through darkness, right? It had to fight its way up to find the sun, to find the oxygen, to to live and 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 sounds to me like you're growing and you're, you're still growing and so congratulations on that but you know and i'm so glad that you talked about that it was not overnight success because some people don't understand that i i was abused but differently than you but for anybody who is abused we all have our own i guess take on it right and our own suffering People are abused in different ways, but it's still abuse. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, some are worse than others. Yeah. When we think about what each person who is abused, what they're going through, and how on earth do they even come out to the other side, 
Because I'm going to be honest with you, most people who are abused don't come out on top. They will always be in that pain. They will never find clarity like you and I have. They will never see themselves as a beautiful person like you have, like I have, like many others who have. Because there is beauty in each one of us, and we need to bring that out. And sometimes, you know, people are going to keep putting you down, no matter what you do, what you say. And they're going to go, you're no good. You're not good enough. You're not good. And that's the words that that hurt you so much even more when they're telling you you're not good enough, or you're not smart enough, or you're not whatever enough. It's that you're no good thing. And and it's, it's spoken. and acted on in so many different ways that we need to find that strength within us to come out on the other side, to come out and and fly through it and, and bang our way out of it. Because, you know, think about it, right? Even before a, a baby chick is born, it's it's in an egg. And, you know, if it's if it's lucky enough that somebody doesn't break it and have it for breakfast, then then it has a chance to survive. Everybody, and and I love the fact that you did not only decide to do this for yourself, and you know, much kudos to you because it takes a a big person to understand what they're going through, and to eventually. I don't blame the people who abuse me because if I blame them, it was I have to take blame in that too. So I'm not taking blame. It's just how they they acted and maybe it was the drugs maybe it was their upbringing maybe it's 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 a cycle they never knew how to break but i know that you and i have broken that cycle of abuse because i've never hit my kids i never would and i'm sure you're the same way and you would never treat now that you have clarity you would never have anyone go through even a a smidgen of what you went through when did you, or have you, or are you still in the process of forgiveness? I think, so first up, yes, I agree with everything that you just said. I would tell people to go back and listen to everything that you just said mm. and, and bury that into your brain in a really intense way, because people will look at people like me, or maybe even you, and go, yeah, but they're special. Their overnight success. They they figured no struggle, sacrifice, growth, the willingness to go through hell again and again. Look, I'll tell you this: when I was twenty seven years old, so a little bit after this whole experience, I'm a year in. I, I realized something that I'd never put attention to before, and that was that I had no confidence. Mm. None. None. That's why there were the women and the money and the cars and the drugs and the alcohol and the food, because then at least I would feel something. And then I realized the truth about what it is to, to step into this is that the reality about this experience is that if you want to gain confidence, which I think is the most Mm. important thing someone can do in this journey is you have to be willing to continually do incredibly uncomfortable things consistently. Mm-hmm. And that is how you build confidence. And, and, and in that, one of those things is to your point, this conversation about forgiveness, 
Now, I will say this, and, and some people will agree with me and some will not. I do not believe that you have to forgive those who have abused you. Now, let me be very clear about this. And I want to make this understood. You have to choose not to carry the weight of it. That's it. Because think about this, man. My, I'll show you my finger, my mother cutting this off. Mm. Five skin grafts, unbelievable amount of surgeries, no filling, missing bone, missing skin, missing all of those things. Looking at this every single day for over 30 years, if I harbored the anger about that, oh yeah, do you think I'd be here with you right now? No, absolutely. You might be even dead. I'd be back where I was oh, yeah. almost 12 years ago. And in that, the other part of it is, I don't know that I will ever forgive someone for doing something so unbelievably cruel. Mm-hmm. But I don't carry the bricks in my backpack, man. That's it. And and the truth about it here, let me give people a tool to help understand this. And this was, it became a rationalized understanding for me one day sitting in my therapist's office about six years ago. And, And what that was is I realized the truth about these kind of experiences. There's causation and correlation to all of them. My mother was abused. Her mother was abused. Her on and on and on. And then oh, yeah. you're like me and you're biracial. You have slavery. You have genocide. You have right. all of this. So I'm, I'm half Irish. So mm. add that in, mm. right? And I'm yes. half West, West <laughs> African Nigerian by lineage and DNA. Mm. We are a sum total of all of our experiences leading to this moment. You are your parents' DNA. When the sperm and egg comes together, you're all of their experiences and so on and so forth. That's estimated for 70 generations. You're carrying all this. and, And people who think this is nonsensical don't understand DNA. So let's be very clear about that. And so you carry all of this. Whether you like it or not, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is how these are the cards that got fucking laid for you. You have no choice. <laughs> you have no you have zero choice right. in who you are born into. And that's why you must make yourself. Mm. And so in this, sitting, looking at it, understanding the power of forgiveness, there are things for sure I have forgiven in my life. The atrocities of abuse are not one of them, mm. but I do not carry that. And and here's what I thought about. And I wrote about this in a blog one day. I was like, if I gave you a backpack full of bricks, it's all your abuse. It's all the, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not capable. It's all of those things. If I gave you that backpack full of these bricks and it weighs a hundred pounds and you have to take this backpack with you everywhere you go, Mm. how long would you carry that damn bag with you before you sat it down? Oh yeah. Right. And, and that's the thing. We carry it. You do not have to carry it. You can let it go. You can put it where it needs to be. Mm. I don't need to forgive to let go. I think that's a misconception because I love my life. I love it. I am so happy. I am so thrilled every single day that I get to do what I need to do. Mm. But I've never had to predicate it on, if I don't forgive somebody, I can't be me. Right. And so while people will say one thing, I say the other, do whatever you need to do for you. Mm-hmm. That's what it comes down to. But either way, don't carry this with you. Uh, that's uh, amazing advice for anyone who is carrying those things, right? 
because it's you also talked about guilt, right? Because they feel the guilt of carrying that weight, carrying that that trauma, carrying it, carrying it, carrying it, and it goes everywhere they go. They can't even be at a party and be happy. They can't be at a wedding and be happy. They can't be anywhere and be happy until they let go. And a lot of it is guilt because maybe they're like, I shouldn't feel happy. I'm not entitled to it. I shouldn't feel good. Like you just said something which is profound. It's I love my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people are like, why would you? But you're, you're entitled to it. Yeah. You're entitled to have a beautiful life. You're entitled to look in the mirror and see the most beautiful person looking back. Yeah. You're entitled to that. And so many people, because of the negativity we carry in that backpack, you know, all the, 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 the sayings of you're not good enough, you're ugly, uh, I'm sure you were called fat when you were heavy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you lost another whole person. Literally. Right? Because you're not 350 anymore. <laughs> no, I'm not. So you literally lost a whole other person. You probably lost that person that was carrying around all that luggage. And, and I, I guess that guy who was 350 pounds was really the one carrying all that. And until you let go, he left. Yeah. There's a, uh, dude, you're, you're great at this. Um, there is likewise a line in, in Think Unbroken, my first book where I said, I dragged the old Michael back behind the shed and I killed him Mm. because that was the truth. You have to shed that identity. You have to be willing to let go of it and recreate the whole, the, the introductory title of the next five chapters of the book in that is create you, right? You literally have to create yourself in this journey. And one of the most important things that people need to understand is time. Like people don't talk about time enough in this conversation. I was like journaling, meditation, mindset, blah, blah, blah. That's fine. We all need those. You've heard it a million times. I'm not going to even go into it. But what you need to understand is time. When I go to a restaurant with my friends, you know, you go put your name on the list. Mm. Next to your name, it says time, right? Mm -hmm. I always write now. (laughs) time is now the time is not yesterday or 10 years ago it is not even tomorrow the time is now and one of the greatest gifts that people have come through traumatic experiences can can have is a relationship with time in which they allow themselves to reconcile the fact that they cannot change what has happened as much as you want to as much as you feel it in your bones, is like, why, God, did this happen to me? I don't know. Mm. But I do know this. You can't change it. I can't take away the scars, the cuts, the burns. I cannot do anything about as desperately, as much as I want my finger to look like a normal person's finger, mm. I never will have that. The burns on my arms, the cut marks, the memories, you cannot change those. But what you can do is put them where they need to go. And the only way you're going to ever put them where they need to go is you're going to have to go through the process. You're going to have to go through. Mm -hmm. You have to acknowledge this. You're going to have to go to therapy. You're probably going to have to get a coach. 
You're going to need to read all the books. You're going to need to listen to the podcast. You're going to need to recognize the truth, the same truth that I teach my clients. Mm-hmm. When you come into this, it's a rest of your life game when you sign on that dotted line. Because it truly is. I've got more experience in healing than anyone I've ever met. I have more certifications. I've read more books, consume more podcasts. I'm dedicated to this. People don't understand my obsession. Mm. I'm dedicated to this. My mission is very simple. I want to end generational trauma in my lifetime through education and information so that another kid does not have a story like mine. And the one thing I know from everything I've learned for all of these years is that this is an everyday battle, but I can only focus on today. Even yesterday, I can't do anything about yesterday. It's done. It's a done deal. It's gone. I can't do anything about an hour ago. Mm-mm. And you're going to make mistakes. You might as well just get super comfortable <laughs> understanding something about yourself is that you're going to screw up a lot. Yeah. And here's why. I mean, I want to tell you something that I think that if you understand this, it'll change your life forever. So growing up, people who come from traumatic households do not get the ability to have self-discovery in a safe way. And your brain serves one purpose, right? Survival. Survive. That's it. Long enough for you to procreate and watch your procreations procreate. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the only purpose of the brain. It's the same reason why you react when there's a stick in the road, when you think it's a snake, but it's not, it's a stick, right? <laughs> yeah. And so the brain in childhood, as you are going through this process of self-discovery, you're trying things, right? Maybe you try a food or you wear a certain clothes or you say a certain thing, but you're in a home where that's unsafe. The most dangerous thing I could do as a kid was be me. And so the brain learns through all the stimulus of this information that it's pulling in of every time that you're being you, that it's dangerous. And so the brain has to compartmentalize this. Is it safe or is it not safe? And if it's safe, you keep doing it. If it's not safe, you don't do it anymore because of survival. And so if the brain equates to me being me is unsafe, Mm -hmm. you will no longer do it. If the brain equates to I need to bend myself placate myself, silence myself, hide myself so that I'm safe. That's what you're going to do. And the the worst part about this is for a period of time that serves you because it protects you. Mm -hmm. Because when you're eight years old and you can't protect yourself and you need to be able to be small so that your stepdad doesn't slam you through a wall like mine did, you're, you're small. And then one day you realize the truth about this. You're 22, 37, 48 years old, and you don't know how to say yes, and you don't know how to say no. You've never been allowed to. Mm -hmm. And so now you're in this position of self-discovery, of create you, in which the truth is your identity is what was stripped from you in childhood, and now you must go and build it. And the only way that you can build it is through the experience of discovery, And in discovery, you are going to fail far more often than you will be successful. And if through those failures, you are willing to assess them as points of data iteration, then on a long enough timeline, you will find out who you are. When I was a kid, I call myself a kid now, when I was in my early 20s, 
went to a country concert. I hate country music so much. Mm. I cannot even explain it to you. So why did I go? Well, because I wanted my friends to see me. I wanted to feel like I was important. I wanted to feel like I mattered. I was placating. I was bending myself for the sake of others. You called me right now. You're like, hey, man, you want to go to a country concert? I'd be like, are you out of your damn mind? (laughs) No. Right. Why? Because I was willing to look at the truth of life. When you come from traumatic background, you bend yourself to the world. Mm -hmm. And healing is bending the world to you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's huge and powerful. And hopefully everybody listening, the whole thing is, and, and the more we talk, the more I empathize, empathize with, there are kids right now going through traumatic experiences who are being abused. And there's not enough people looking out and catching it and helping. Sometimes it's even the people who are in charge are the ones that are doing the abuse. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, look at coaches who, who abuse, the, you know, the athletes or teachers in the back. Back in the day, my parents were teachers, right? My mom was a, was a teacher and my father was a principal. And back in the day, the teachers used to corporal punishment. They used to hit yeah. the kids. That happened to me too. Thank God that's over. Yeah, thank God that, that's over. But my parents used to abuse other kids because guess what? That was their job. Crazy that the parents allowed someone else to abuse their kid. And it was, it was natural. It was given. People who go to Catholic school back in the day, they're like, oh, yeah, sister whatever used to beat me. I'm like, what? You know. What's going on? And, and is it still going on? Yeah. You know, there are things in place now. Obviously, everybody has a smartphone, so people get caught. But there's a lot of people who are not being caught. A lot of people who are um, placated to, to say, hey, you know what? If you, if you tell, you're going to get in trouble. And it's also the theory of, I don't want to get in more trouble than I'm already mm-hmm. at. So that's why the abuse continues. But we, you know, as, as people who, who can make a difference in this world, start to say, hey, you know, enough is enough. And, and there are kids, teenagers, and it's not, this doesn't have to be 100% physical. It could be mental abuse, too. Um, and it happens consistently, and it's still happening in today's age. And it's just, it breaks my heart to, to know that it's still going on. So what would you say is the one thing that we can give advice to someone so they can maybe see something and start talking about it and, and make a difference? I know you are. Yeah. Well, what, the, the first thing that came to my mind was the, the realization that the real truth, the real pandemic in the world right now, like for real, for real is child abuse. Mm. Oh yeah. It impacts people everywhere, everywhere, Mm -hmm. every single day. There, there's a study called the ACE survey, adverse childhood experiences survey. It was done in the nineties with uh, Dr. Folletti, the California center for disease control and Kaiser Permanente. And what they found was that on average, 83% of people had adverse childhood experience, right? I would argue that that is 
A, super inconclusive, and B, entirely wrong. Low, low number. I think that's a low number. It's a low number. It's probably 97 to 99%. Mm -hmm. If not 100. When you factor in things like abuse at school and children not being safe to talk about it and homes like mine where it was like, if you tell anyone, we're going to beat you harder. Mm -hmm. And then non-reports and people not being prepared for it and the whole nine. And so the thing that I come to and I think about in this quite frequently is the recognition that it's swept under the rug, especially in America. Mm. And everyone goes to this idea of shouldn't you be over that? Right. And that's so dangerous because every single time I said that to myself, my life got worse, you know? And so if you're, if you're watching and you're observing the world, you, you have to have the courage to step in and people are like, well, it's not my kid. It's not my place. Yeah. Right. Well, but think about this. What if that time that you didn't step in, it ends up being that kid who breaks into your house and kills you in the middle of the night. Mm. Like that does happen. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I know that sounds like a movie that does happen. Mm. And so, you know, I believe that we have a moral responsibility as a community to step in. Like my, my thing is like, if I see somebody hit a kid in public, like, dude, I do my best to not lose my fucking mind and then step into that situation. And it always ends up being the same thing. This has happened a few times in my life. This is my kid. Don't tell me what to do. And then I will literally explain to them the long-term ramifications of hitting a child, right? Depending on where you fall on that scale of the ACE survey, if you're like me and you answered yes to this series of 10 questions, go Google them. I won't get into it right now. But if you're like me, you're 5,200% more likely to commit suicide, 2,200% more likely to use alcohol, and 2,000% more likely to smoke cigarettes. Well, I did all those things, mm. not to mention you're more likely to have heart attacks, pulmonary embolisms, asthma, cancer, diabetes, early onset di dementia. And, um, you know, you look at all of these things in life and you go, there is causation and correlation. So the number one thing that you need to do is say something like, it's like, all right, like I'll say this. I think this is really stupid. When you're in the airport, they go, if you see something, say something. Right. Nobody ever says shit. It's like, you need to start saying something. That's the thing. You know, it's uh, I was recently on a, um, on a trip and there was a couple, they came over and then he left and I figured he went to the bathroom. And then she like goes over, she looks both ways, and then she leaves and they left their luggage. So what are we supposed to do nowadays, right? And I was the only one in that area. So I went and I said something to um, somebody working behind the desk. I, it was somebody who was probably cleaning it, not somebody. And I said, hey, look, somebody just left that luggage there. Aren't we supposed to do something? He's, he's, he's telling me, stop, stop. And then he's on the phone and I'm like, you need to call somebody. And it took five minutes before he actually called somebody. So had they left a bomb or something? Been too late. You know, it would have been too late. So, and, and that's the same thing that happens when somebody reports something, that it's happening. Who is going to be there to act on it, right? And then a lot of times when, when people come into a situation, because the person being abused is so terrified that they'll deny it. They'll say, no, I wasn't, you know, even look at it. 
people who are in an abusive relationship, they'll show up to the hospital and they'll say they fell down the stairs on their own. Meanwhile, they got they got beaten up. And so it's it's that that whole thing where we have to start creating a message of back in the day there was that message is if you recall these there used to be it's 10 o'clock do you know where your kids are Mm -hmm. and then you don't see that anymore and there should be a a national message across the country is you know are you being abused is or, or is somebody in your household being abused call this hotline do something but that is no longer important the important thing is What's what's on what football game are we gonna watch? What is this? What is this movie coming out? Those are the important things that people are putting their priorities to, not safeguarding each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I I would love for that to come back. I I used to love that commercial. It's ten o'clock. You know where your children are, and it's just trying to tell the parents, hey, be more responsible. But it should be more like it, it's ten o'clock. Have you been abused today? Right or you know here, here's a hotline if there is abuse at home, and I, I think that that's something that you know you and I can apply for it to happen, but I think it's our government really who should step up and say you know this is a bigger problem, and we're not dealing with it. Yeah, and I mean look, you're spot on. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example of why you're 100 percent right. So the the first book I wrote here 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 the the subtitle of this book understanding and overcoming childhood trauma, right? So I'll give, you, I'll give you a couple of ideas about why you're so right. When I sat down and I wrote this book in 2019, I reached out to hundreds of agents. Every single one of them told me no. I said, fuck it, I'm gonna self-publish this. Awesome. I've sold, I've sold thousands of copies of this book, thousands. There's 50 reviews online about it. Oh my gosh. No one ever sends me pictures. No one ever posts it. No one ever shares it publicly. Why? Why? It's forbidden. Because it is the number one shame driving source on planet freaking Earth. Child abuse. The one thing you had no control of is the one thing that you feel most shame about. And so, you know, I look at this and I'm so, so, so happy we've had thousands. I mean, we're almost 10,000 books sold. It's crazy. Most people self-publish a book and sell two. Right. And so, no, literally. And so like being able to know that these people are reading this and joining the programs and listening to the podcast. I mean, same as what's happening with you right now, like we are doing what it takes we cannot wait for the government. They're never going to do it. Mm. We cannot wait for other people to help us find our dreams because they're not going to help and support. We have to find the people that we're in alignment with, come together, create the information, put it into the world and do it again and again and again and again and again. And you know, I, I'm releasing my third book here in this summer. And it's like, I'm going to write a book a year till the day I die. Mm. I put out 365 podcasts a year. Mm. We, we show up to conferences and events and we, we have programs and coaching and groups and all the things because why my mission is very simple in generational trauma in my lifetime. And I ain't waiting for nobody. Awesome. It's happening now. Well, congratulations. And I applaud you hundred percent. If there's anything I can do to help, you know, let me know. Yeah, this is it, man. I would love a copy of your book. I would love a copy. And, you know, I'll pay you for it, but definitely sign it. I'll take a picture. I'll post it up. 
We have to help each other. We have to make a change. We have to. We need to stop it. You know, I, I was abused as a child. Could I have kept the cycle going? Absolutely. Had I not found myself, had I not truly looked in the mirror, then yeah, my kids would have been abused as well. Yeah. And then their kids would be abused. And my kids know that I was abused because I told them, I said, I don't want anyone feeling like I did. So I don't want you guys to ever think it's okay to raise your hand to someone else unless you're defending your life. That's it. That's the only reason you would hurt someone is physically if your life is in danger. That's it. That's the only reason. Yeah. Powerful. It is powerful. You know, I, I used to be a bouncer in, in New York City. And in five years as a bouncer, you would imagine how many fights I've gotten into. Zero. Mm. As a martial artist, I knew that I can defeat these people easily. So what was my choice? To hurt them? No. They didn't even know me. So my goal was to make sure they were safe. They swung at me. There was knives, blades, all, you know, chains, all these crazy things. I would just turn them around, whisper in their ear, do you want to go home or you want to go to jail? And they're like, who is this crazy guy who's just doing this to me? And they kind of would look at me a little bit like, this guy's nuts. And then they'll go home. I'm like, oh, good choice. Yeah. Some people went to jail, you know, but the whole thing is, when we can learn from the abuse that we've had and turn it around and give love back instead of that same hatred that we could have. Because listen, a lot of bouncers I worked with, the police were there the next day looking for them. Why? Because they hurt people. They hurt people because they could hurt people. I never hurt one person even though I could. Yeah. Because I chose to give them love instead and and i encourage everybody listening is is lead with your heart and guess what your heart's going to get broken and you and i you we both know that our heart's going to get broken it's been broken when we were young and it will still be broken today but we can't stop leading with our heart right yeah yeah i love it and you know i it's funny because obviously we've just met but i had a feeling you were a martial artist mm. Um, there, there is a certain stature that people who have had training in martial arts carry, right? It's that, it's like, like that, that little bit of silent confidence and martial arts. I, I know I realize we're out of time, but you know, martial arts played a huge role in my life still does. I lived in Thailand, practiced Muay Thai, I've, I've mm. practiced for years and, and there, there's something that that has sat with me for so long and bruce lee said or you know don't ask for an easy life right. instead ask for the tools to deal with a difficult one right because then you can deal right exactly no tools you can't deal <laughs> you know let, let me ask you a, a question before i know you have to go what made you decide to lose that other part of you which was the heavy guy you know i I always looked at my life as like being in the matrix. Mm. You know, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I saw that movie. My, my mom had saved up just enough money to take us to the dollar theater mm. back when that was still a thing, you I, know? I, oh, I, I went so, to <laughs> Yeah, totally. That was the only way I ever saw movies. And so it's like a, you know, it's um, a Sunday and 
you know, we go to church or whatever. And later in the afternoon, she takes us and, you know, I'm, I'm probably, I don't know, 12 at that age. So it was right before everything got really crazy. And I'm sitting there watching that movie and, you know, it just hit me. I was like, we're in the matrix. We're in this, like literally, maybe, I don't know. How would you know anyway, if you're in the matrix, Right. but it's like, I, I thought to myself, why can't I make life be what I want it to be? And I realized that the reason that all of those years up to 25 and starting the process of losing that weight, all the times that I wasn't making my life what I wanted it to be is because I hadn't decided. Mm. I hadn't made a decision. You know, we get so caught up and we look at our life and we go, I want, I want, I want. Well, what are you willing to do? You know, I wasn't, I wasn't joking when I said no excuses, just results. Yep. I meant it. I mean it today. I don't, I don't share this a lot, but I think it's important because of the question you just asked me. We have to learn how to manipulate ourselves in positive ways. Correct. I used to call myself a terrorist hmm. at the beginning of this. Wow. And I had to push myself. Why? Because I don't negotiate with terrorists. Hmm. And I know that's crazy, but I had to do something to push myself harder. You know, I can go back 11 years ago, 12 years ago, being literally the only man in hot yoga rooms with all of these super fit 20 something women and being 300 fucking 25 pounds Mm, walking in that room, terrified. Oh, yeah. And being like, you said you would do whatever it took, motherfucker, let's go. (laughs) Yes. Right. And so it was the the simple answer to to why was because I decided not to negotiate with myself. Hmm. I said, physical fitness, I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to do CrossFit. I'm going to train Muay Thai around the world. Hmm. I'm going to learn all these different things that I've always wanted to do, but was so scared to do. Life is very simple, man. We are faced with every single day, we like pack our bag, we put it in the car and we drive to the place and the place or the thing doesn't matter, but the concept does. Mm -hmm. You sit in your car and right there at that doorway is the threshold to everything that you want. Well, how bad do you want it? Because you're going to have to get out of that car and walk across the parking lot, walk through that threshold and face the truth of the reality that that thing that you want today you probably aren't going to get because you aren't good enough yet. Does it mean you can't get there? But I don't know anybody who walks into a jujitsu studio on day one as a white belt and walks out as a third degree black belt. I've never seen it one time in my whole life. <laughs> Except for Neo in the Matrix where he knew Kung Fu. <laughs> True, but, but he had a cheat code. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. He had the cheat code. Right. And, and, and that's just simply to say you can have anything, mm. but you can't have it right now because you're not good enough yet. Right. So put in the work, put in the work, put in the time. And you talked about that too, right? You have to, and the time will come It will. when it is your time. I've never seen it not come. Right. Not once. Michael, this has been so great, informative, and I hope that our message gets out there. I hope that your message will continue. And I know you, your passion and your dedication and your drive, and I know it will. And listen, 
you have my information. You can contact me anytime. If I can be there for you, let me know. I definitely will. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you for the opportunity. Just being here with you right now makes you a part of my mission and a part of this brotherhood and family and unbroken nation. And uh, I appreciate you greatly. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Have an amazing day. You too, my friend. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Sifu Raphael. Thank you and I really appreciate your help.